Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Is there truly a double standard going on right now in the NBA? Plus, diagnosing the latest news and rumors surrounding the NFL offseason. And, with spring training on the horizon, who are the teams to watch for in the MLB? It's episode 14 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Coming to you on Thursday, February 18th, 2021, the newest edition of Let Me Speak. Now, this is usually the time where it gets a little bit quiet. We've had the Super Bowl NFL season starting to slowly get into an off season, and then obviously the NHL and the NBA getting underway. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's get right into it. And the biggest headline that's been dominating the news over the past, I'd say, 48 hours, has been the comments recently made by Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green. Now, this is all relative to what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing with their center, Andre Drummond, having him sit and not be active for games until he is moved, either before the trade deadline or at the trade deadline. Now... It's been a highly debated topic going on, and I figure why not get into it as Draymond Green's comments on this situation is the subject of this week's Hot Takes. Oh, hot, 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 So to give you an overall summary on this is that Draymond Green... He went on a probably a good three-minute rant on this, but I'll just highlight what it was all about. He was talking about how he doesn't like the treatment of players by organization when it comes to possible player movement or any kind of trading if players ask for a trade. And he cited a lot of scenarios that have happened in the past. Now, I'll start with the disclaimer that overall, I'm not a big fan of Draymond Green with... The kind of play that he has, his complaining on every single call that goes against him, his style of play, his demeanor a little bit, not the biggest fan of it. But when it comes to this situation that we're dealing with, if we're talking about a double standard, I think he's got a great point in what he's talking about. He makes some great points. Now, let's go through the scenario that we're talking about. Andre Drummond, he's he's not going to play in any games just because he wants to get moved. Now, you understand it from an organization standpoint of you don't want him to get hurt and diminish his trade value. But at the same time, you know, Draymond Green said a lot about, like, mental health too, talking about the Kyrie Irving situation. You got to talk with a player on that one. I mean, come on. I mean, look at all the scenarios that he's pointed out along with Andre Drummond. He mentioned Harrison Barnes getting pulled off the bench during a game. DeMarcus Cousins, while he was at a press conference after the All-Star game. 
Anthony Davis, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. I mean, players do deserve some kind of respect from management. They really do. Because when you look at what management has, there have been maybe, I'm just estimating here, over a thousand players to have played in an NBA game. Probably more than that. Probably much more than that. And so management, they build a new team every single year. So it's never going to be the same 15 or 16 guys that you see in in every single year. It's not going to be the same team year after year after year. You'll have the same players, but it's not going to be the same 15 guys all the time. So management will just see these players as expendable, like they're objects, basically, because they are so movable back and forth when you're trying to build a team for success. But the big thing about this, though, is that there just needs to be better communication. Better communication between players and management. And at least have that sort of respect before you go out and you make these moves. Like talking about hearing all these players find out they're getting traded or they're getting released or they're signing somewhere via social media through all these insiders like Adrian Wojnarowski. Like, no, that is totally unfair to these players. Completely unfair. So communication between management and players has to be the number one priority when it comes to this kind of double standard. Because before any kind of moves get made, or before you're going to finally hit the trigger and say, we're going to trade you or we're going to cut you, you have to at least meet with them face-to-face, then release it to the public. And I understand that insiders, their job is to get the scoop before anyone else. But there still has to be that sort of level of respect between owners, general managers, coaches, and all that, and their players. Because management has this sort of authority that players don't, as Draymond Green alludes to. Because when you see guys like Anthony Davis or James Harden publicly request a trade, As he says, you get fined for that. So I really think that if they do go out and they make this trade, they shouldn't be viewed as the bad guy. They shouldn't be viewed as the bad guy. It's only only a problem if management comes out and says, oh, him requesting this trade in public is the problem, and it's going to unset some people. Like, they shouldn't be shunned for wanting any kind of movement. And I know for a fact that these players aren't trying to create any kind of dysfunction. They're not trying to create any dysfunction. They're just trying to think about their future, what's best for them, what's best for the team. I know this for a fact. It might be a little it might be a little selfish, but they're doing what they want. Now, on the other side of things, you know, Draymond Draymond Green, as I said, he makes some great points, but you have to look at every single situation that's happened in the past. Because every situation is different. Take the recent one with Andre Drummond and Cleveland. Cleveland has always been a mess under Dan Gilbert, okay? With LeBron James leaving in 2010, then coming back, the mess that they had at their general manager position with David Griffin and all that. It's just a mess. And then with Dallas' situation a few years ago where they traded Harrison Barnes when Barnes was on the bench in the middle of the game, and he found out that those situations are the fault of management. 
That's all on management. Now, for situations like James Harden or for Kyrie Irving or even a few years ago with Jimmy Butler, I would call that on the fault of players because the way this is is that, yes, these guys are made to look like the bad guy, but there needs to be a sense of professionalism with these players, a sense of professionalism. Okay, James Harden, you can publicly request a trade, but you can't be deliberately, I'm trying to find the right word, you can't deliberately sabotage your team. Like, you should be professional, go out and play, regardless of any kind of trade rumors. You don't purposely get yourself out of shape. You don't purposely put on extra weight so you're not that elite player that you were, just to sabotage your team. And I understand Houston was saying, oh, we're going to hold on to him as long as we want. He still eventually got his wish. But Harden sabotaging that in his own way is all on him. And then with Kyrie Irving, when he had to take a few games off and he cited his mental health, he needed to take a break. He should have just said that right off the bat rather than just leave us guessing and diagnosing all these social media posts and wondering, oh, he pulled a Dennis Rodman. Where did he go? He needed to communicate, maybe with the press, maybe with management, that he just needed a few games off. He needed some time off. Because I do agree, mental health is extremely important when you're in a spotlight like the NBA. So if Kyrie could have just communicated that sooner then he might not have been the bad guy and with Jimmy Butler I mean the thing that he did in practice he should not have been outspoken you need to have a sense of professionalism while you're playing all right you need to continue to go out and play on the court that's why the recent situation with Detroit and with Blake Griffin I think that's the perfect scenario between player and management understanding each other okay because both the Pistons and Griffin mutually agreed to sit while they're discussing a buyout or any kind of trade option and then you see Blake Griffin acting with a sense of maturity and with class saying like oh I completely understand it and I respect it thank you to the Pistons organization see that's good communication right there Whereas with the Cleveland situation with Drummond, Drummond probably had to find out about this via social media or stuff like that. So the Detroit situation is exactly what you want between communication with players and communication with the organization. So Draymond Green, he's got some good points. Then he's got some points you have to wonder about. But this is going to be a topic for a long time to talk about the possible double standard that needs to be changed in the NBA. On to topic number two, and topic number two is all about the latest news and rumors regarding the NFL offseason, we're only about, it's going to be two weeks this upcoming Sunday from the Super Bowl, and we've already seen a bunch of offseason movement, especially 
earlier today, maybe about an hour before we started recording, we just found out the latest big trade in the NFL features Carson Wentz getting traded to the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, for two draft picks. Now, if you ask me, I thought Indy got an absolute steal, not only because they solved their quarterback problems with Phillip Rivers retiring, they get in Carson Wentz where he doesn't have to take the load, but the fact they only had to give up two draft picks, I mean, come on. They totally won this trade. They totally, totally won this trade because I think Carson Wentz is a lot better than people are giving him credit for. I'm not going to say he's like totally elite and he'll go back to that MVP level that he was before he got hurt in that Super Bowl run with Philly. But I think he's capable, especially because he's got a great defense behind him. I think he's finally got the weapons around him that he used to have during that Super Bowl run. I, I really like the move, especially it's not so much about Carson Wentz. It's the fact that only two draft picks were given to Philadelphia, only two of them. And they were, I believe, a conditional draft pick and then a third round, or I think it was a first round draft pick. But I totally like the move by Indy, especially they totally had control of this because obviously the reports coming out that they were the favorites to land Wentz and they basically said we are not moving from our offer so now it is on you do you want more to go to another team or do you want to get rid of Carson Wentz and sure enough they took the bait they shipped off a quarterback and they only got two draft picks in return so I'm not sure exactly what Philly has got going on maybe their answers come in the draft when it comes to April but I totally, totally in favor of Indianapolis winning this trade. I could even look two years from now. I could see two years from now that Indy would still be the favorites in pulling off this trade and that they would win this trade. I mean, two draft picks for a guy that still, I think, has the skills to be a starter in this league. I'm, I'm riding Indy, and I would not be surprised if they make the playoffs once again. I would not be surprised at all. But the other big name that's out there on the market is J.J. Watt. Now, from the last time that we had recorded this, news had come out that J.J. Watt will be released by the Houston Texans. And you know what? I've said it for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's about time that Watt goes and starts ring chasing. He he should have gone ring chasing a long time ago. So Houston, it's obvious that the Texans are going on a full rebuild, whether that be with Deshaun Watson or not. And obviously, we'll talk about Watson in a future episode, but I think you're seeing it now. J.J. Watt is still being coveted now like he was a multiple defensive player of the year, like he still got it, because I think he still got it. He still got the talent to be a difference maker. And I truly believe that Watt should be ring chasing. So he should only be looking at contenders. So sorry to Pittsburgh and the Watt brothers and sorry to New England. I don't think I could see J.J. Watt heading on that team. There are a couple teams that did kind of pop into my mind as possibly being a little sneaky dark horse to land the defensive end. First thought I had were the Chiefs. I mean, 
What could the Chiefs not do in the Super Bowl? Play defense. They could not stop Tom Brady. And yeah, they only got to him a handful of times, but you need consistent pressure. And J.J. Watt can do that on that D-line. And then the other thing, other team I have, Green Bay, possibly J.J. Watt going home to Wisconsin. I mean, the D-line for Green Bay is already great. Put J.J. on that line, I, I would totally take the Packers if they could sign him. But also there's the Rams. I mean, the Rams are already building into trying to get back as Super Bowl contenders, just getting Matthew Stafford. And Aaron Donald could use a partner on that D-line. So those are three teams. I mean, I'll even throw the Seahawks out there. I mean, the Seattle Seahawks, they were the worst defense in the league last year. So getting a bona fide stud like Watt would be absolutely huge. But the reports are coming out that the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, are on the favorites for J.J. Watt. And honestly, I love the move. I think it's a great move. I mean, they are a rising contender. A rising contender. I mean, yeah, the defense still needs a little bit of help. They were about mid-pack, but you bring on Watt, you get that to like a top 10 defense right there. And not only that, but they have stability, okay? Baker Mayfield and that offense are starting to come around and starting to be taken seriously under Kevin Stefanski. And not only that, but if you have a defensive line with Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt, I would not want to be any kind of opposing quarterback with those two on the edge. Because if you escape from one, you're not going to escape from the other. So I could totally see why the Browns would be so high on Watt's list. And it will be very intriguing to see where J.J. Watt goes. Because I think I think Watt still has that magic. And whichever team he goes to, he's going to be that difference maker. Because not only as a player, but as someone in the locker room who just loves to play the game of football and goes after it and is such a humble human being, I would totally see J.J. Watt as a difference maker no matter where he goes. Now, speaking of difference makers, reports had just recently come out that Russell Wilson has said he's uncertain about his future in Seattle. The 31-year-old has been talking about he's not sure what direction the Seahawks are going in. Now, I sort of see this similar to the Aaron Rodgers situation from a couple weeks ago after the NFC Championship in that this is just pure frustration coming out. Because if you remember, Russell Wilson drafted in the third round in 2012. In 2012. And in his first three seasons... As the Seattle Seahawks quarterback, he's been to two Super Bowls, including a victory against Denver in 2014. But after those first three seasons where he went to two Super Bowls, he hasn't even reached the conference championship since then. He's only sniffed out the divisional round, the wild card, missed the playoffs, I think once or twice. So this is totally frustration, I think, with Russell Wilson. I mean, 2020, I will say this past year, wasn't entirely his fault. Yeah, he didn't have a great game playing against the Rams. But 
like I said before in talking about their defense, they had the worst defense in the league.
I'm still waiting on those names to sign somewhere at least. At least give them a contract before spring training even begins. So obviously with them aside, we'll do a brief preview on what the MLB might look like. And I think to start, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the defending champs, I think they still remain the favorite. They did no such thing to take a step back. No such thing. Because in 2020, in that shortened season, they were great from top to bottom. Top to bottom, okay? First in wins. First in ERA. And first in home runs hit. Okay? And don't forget the addition of the NL Cy Young Award winner, Trevor Bauer. Okay? That is a stacked pitching rotation right there. You put Trevor Bauer with Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, and a returning healthy David Price. I mean, come on. That is a formidable rotation that you got to go against. And not only that, but look at the bullpen. They improved with Corey Kniebel and Tommy Canely. That bullpen shored up, and they got some backup for Kenley Jansen. That closer does get some relief of his own. And then the lineup, I mean, it's just power hitter after power hitter. You don't see any kind of weakness in this lineup. I mean, Mookie Betts, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, Corey Seager, re-signing Justin Turner, absolutely huge. And unless I see it on the field and it gets proven otherwise, the Dodgers should be the favorites to repeat. They should be the favorites, considering they added a Cy Young Award winner. Not a not a past Cy Young Award winner, the past year's Cy Young Award winner. I love that move, and I don't see anyone knocking off the Dodgers. Although the San Diego Padres do have maybe the best chance to knock them off, especially in their own division, because like I said a couple of episodes ago, the Padres, I think made some of the best moves in all of MLB free agency and the offseason. And not only that, but just last night, having that super max extension for Fernando Tatis Jr., 14 years, I want to say about $300 million. I mean, come on. That is absolutely insane. I like what the Padres are doing. I really do. And I have a good feeling that the Padres, they look good on paper. And unless they do something in on the field where they totally defy everyone's expectations and predictions, I see them as probably the toughest test to the Dodgers. Because look at what they got. They got Blake Snell, Hugh Darvish, giving some backup to Denelson Lamont and Davies. And then you got Chris Paddock. And then in the lineup, you got Haseon Kim adding to Manny Machado, Tatis, Myers, Hosmer. I think they have the tools on paper to challenge the Dodgers. We'll have to see what happens, though, in that NL West division. And then one last team I'm looking at in the National League, a lot of people overlooking them, but the Atlanta Braves, okay? This could be the year that the Braves get over the hump because, remember, the past three seasons, they have been getting better. They've made the postseason each of the last three times, and they've gotten better every single time. I mean, last year, they took it to the limit, 
in that NLCS getting knocked out by the Dodgers. In fact, in their past three seasons, they've gotten knocked out by the Dodgers twice. But the what I see with Atlanta that they still need help with is their pitching because they have a great offense. Okay, their first they were first in 2020 in RBIs and hits and then second in batting average and home runs. And I think re-signing Marcelo Zuna was absolutely huge with a lineup consisting of Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., Dansby Swanson. I think they have a lot of pieces on offense. But like I said, the pitching just needs to catch up with it. Because last year they were 15th in the MLB and ERA at almost four and a half. And they were tied for 21st in total strikeouts. And they did get Charlie Morton. They picked up Charlie Morton, and I think that's going to help a little bit. But I just still think, unless the pitching gets a little bit better, then I could see Atlanta getting into World Series contention. But those are the three top teams, I would say, in the National League. And it seems more defined in that spot. I should also mention, before I forget, for those that might be asking, don't overlook the St. Louis Cardinals. I would say that right now. Don't overlook the Cardinals for what they've done. I'll just mention that really briefly. I think they're probably the fourth best team in the National League. Now, in the American League, though, it almost feels like a lot of teams took a step back. Not necessarily like step back from contention, but they might not be as good this year as they were in previous years. First one, obviously, Tampa Bay Rays. They gave up a ton of pieces, and it kind of looks like they're hoping for a rebuild right now. I mean, they gave up Blake Snell. And Blake Snell, you leave him in the game, it's a much more competitive World Series. That's just how I see it. And then the Yankees, they did re-sign their MVP, but they lost Masahiro Tanaka. They lost J.A. Happ. There's still a lot of questions there. And then the Houston Astros, obviously, they lose their top hitter in George Springer. And obviously, Justin Verlander still recovering from Tommy John. So I think the Astros and the Yankees, at least, are going to do well. But I think Tampa takes the biggest step back out of those three. Now, a quiet team, I think, could really make a Cinderella run. The Minnesota Twins. How about the Twins with some sneaky good moves this offseason? First off, re-signing Nelson Cruz. I understand he's 40, but he's your designated hitter. All you need him to do is hit home runs, and that's what he does. He's very coveted, and I thought the Twins did a great job in re-signing him. Not only that, you bring in Alex Colome from the White Sox. You get J.A. Happ. You get Sean Anderson. And then in the lineup, Andrelton Simmons. I thought probably some of the best moves in the offseason in the American League. And don't overlook Kenta Maeda. Okay? He could have a Cy Young year this year. In that shortened season, he went 6-1 and one with a 2.70 ERA in 2020. Okay, so he could have a great year and carry that pitching. And then in the lineup, I mean, you've got a ton of power hitters with Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Josh Donaldson. I think they could go a long way. They could go a long way. And I could definitely see the Minnesota Twins kind of being like Tampa last year. Being a top team that no one's really paying attention to and maybe not taking seriously. But if they maybe get to 
the LCS or even the World Series, I would not be surprised considering the moves that they would make. But hey, we're only talking before spring training has even begun. There's still plenty, plenty of more stuff to happen before the MLB season kicks off in April. Now, as always, as I said, we're here in Massachusetts, so it's only right that we talk about our Massachusetts teams. It's time for our Let's Get Local segment of the week. And the big story surrounding Boston has been the struggle of the Celtics. Now, they've had a very, very tough stretch. I want to say they've went 4-8 and eight in their past 12 games. And they were, they just had a really tough schedule that that's how I see it with this team not only that but they're still not healthy they're still not healthy enough to really be contenders now do they need to make a move yes but I think it's just showing how important Marcus Smart is to this team especially defensively I mean last night against the Hawks they could not stop Trey Young could not stop them. Okay? And look at just just look at the stretch that they've been going on. Really it it started once they went on the West Coast. They've only gotten wins against Golden State, the Clippers, the Raptors and the Nuggets. And they were pretty decisive. But we're dropping games we're we're seeing games get lost to the Kings, uh the Suns, the Jazz, the Pistons, the Wizards, and now the Hawks to set them at 14 and 14 where we start. Now, the good news is they do get to play Atlanta again. So I'm sure they're going to shore up a few things because they just had a really tough stretch at the beginning of that second half and the beginning of the fourth quarter. They did make a game of it near the end, but still, they just, they just need a lot of help. And as much as I talk about it defensively, it's it's all about the depth. As As I say over and over and over again is that this team is lacking in depth like I said even before the season began this team just still feels too young and don't have the quality talent coming off their bench yet they're just still too young and what did I see in that Nuggets game that was different ball movement they were just need that's the foundation of every single Celtics team that is successful is ball movement. And they're just getting away from ball movement. They're getting away from defensive communication. I mean, it, it's just a tough stretch. Now, I don't think the sky is falling because I think they will still, they'll right the ship. They'll get Marcus Smart back. We'll see Kemba Walker start to get a little bit more healthy and play in some more consistent games. Because he didn't play in that Atlanta game. I fully believe if he did, the Celtics would win that. But they just haven't been healthy. I should also mention no Daniel Tice in that game. And he's a very important complimentary piece. But it almost kind of makes you wonder now, what pieces on this team are going to be moved? And who should they target? Because I do think Danny Ainge needs to make a move. I mean, when you have... all basically 28 
and a half million dollars in a trade exception, you have to spend it. You don't want to just let that roam free and want to disappear. But you have to wonder whoever it is that Ainge might target, they have to, and I mean have to give up a ton of pieces. Some obvious ones, Jeff Teague, I I I thought he was a great pickup, but he just hasn't played his way better than Peyton Pritchard or even Carson Edwards, I'll add to that. He did get a little bit in the game last night, but still, he's just not the answer off the bench. So I think that's an easily expendable piece. I think you have to look at maybe both Williams, Grant, and Rob. Do you trust them to carry you a long way? I know they absolutely love Grant Williams, and Rob Williams is starting to come in on his own, but you might have to part with one, maybe both of them, if you want to get some size. If you want to get some size. And probably the biggest question mark, I would say, Shemi Ojale and Kemba Walker. First off, Shemi is playing incredible. I thought Ojale, he's just getting his confidence in, I want to say this is year four of his career with the Celtics. And he's really starting to find himself. He's he's shooting threes with confidence. He's making all his corner threes, being complimentary to Tatum and Brown. And Ojale, you either keep him for a long run or you use him as trade bait. That would be a, a great move. I think either way, I think the Celtics will rely on him, whether they do trade him or they keep him for a postseason run. Now, Kemba, on the other hand, what do you do with a 31-year-old point guard that has had a little bit of injury problems? The first thing, obviously, you wonder is, do you trade him? Because you have a great point guard, maybe in Peyton Pritchard, that you could put in the starting lineup. But Pritchard's still a rookie. I think it's too soon to put him in that kind of position. So I think you can hold on to Kemba for this upcoming year. I think you can hold on to him. Now, some of the names that the Celtics maybe, I think, should inquire on, maybe not make a move, but inquire on, I think Blake Griffin, you have to wonder about him. I think you have to talk about Andre Drummond if he's out there. And then maybe J.J. Redick throw in there. I mean, they need shooting off the bench, they need scoring, and they need size. That's really all they need. I think Redick gives you the shooting and that veteran presence off the bench. And I think Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, they give you that size. And with what Blake Griffin has gone through in the dramatic drop that he's had since his all-star days with the Clippers, I think that would be a nice move to pick up, whether it's through a trade or if he gets bought out. I did have John Collins on this list, but in talking about the game last night, he's a great piece, but if he's turning down a $90 million extension, you know he's going to want to stay, and obviously you going to have to give him everything but the kitchen sink in Atlanta. So I think maybe you have to stay away from John Collins. I did have a name that I didn't write down, but I just thought about it before I started. Al Horford. I mean, why not get a little reunion going with him on a rebuilding Thunder team? They're looking to go young. The Celtics have a lot of young pieces that they could give up for Al Horford. And Horford fits every single category of what they're looking for size shooting and defense he provides you all three of those things so i would definitely listen to phone calls and see if al horford is available but i mean we haven't even hit 
April. We haven't even hit March. We haven't even hit April. And if they're still struggling, then it's time to hit the panic button. Now, speaking of teams that are not hitting the panic button, Boston Bruins just continue to roll. I mean, they did lose on Saturday to the Islanders, but that was their first regulation loss since January 18th. That's absolutely incredible. And I know that I've said that they need to get some two-goal wins or some three-goal wins or something like that, and they're good, but I just think this is going to be the team that's really going to be the grinded-out team where they're have to get where they going to get points in games that they shouldn't be competitive in. They're going to force them to overtimes and shootouts and stuff like that. What is really fascinating to me is that they haven't lost in the TD Garden yet. They've played four games. They've won all four of them. So I'm very happy to see what the Bruins have got going on right now. And I'm really looking forward to this Sunday's matchup where they're going to play the Flyers in Lake Tahoe. That's going to be so fun to watch this upcoming Sunday. I mean, if you've seen the photos of what the rink looks like in Lake Tahoe, it is amazing. It's a spectacle out there. And even if the Bruins lose, I'm just going to enjoy the scenery about it. Because if you've ever been to Lake Tahoe, it's a tremendous place. Put an ice rink out there, it's incredible. But I think the Bruins will handle their business. I think they'll beat the Flyers this upcoming Sunday. Obviously, they've got the night game tonight, taking on the New Jersey Devils. But, I mean, they're sitting in first place in the East right now. And unless they take a catastrophic tumble, I don't see them going anywhere. The question is, though, can they make it in the postseason? Can they do what they're doing now in the postseason? I think they still got to have some dominant wins. They got to have some statement wins. But like I said, it's still early for the Bruins and for the Celtics. We'll have plenty of more answers come postseason time. Now it is once again our favorite time of the week, or at least my favorite time of the week, to talk about our head-scratcher LOL moment of the week. Now this one's a little bit special because we're not really talking about an athlete doing anything. We're talking about a fictional athlete. And it might not sound like a fictional athlete, but you'll understand when I get to it. So our head-scratcher LOL moment of the week goes to... Adam Sandler, the actor, has made it. So you're probably wondering, he's not an athlete, but he played an athlete. Let me give you the basis of why he's on this LOL moment of the week. If you didn't know, this week was the 25th anniversary of Happy Gilmore. Okay, One of my favorite movies. I think a lot of people's favorite movies. I know I have a lot of friends who aren't the biggest fans of Adam Sandler, but... I definitely am a fan of Adam Sandler. And if you saw the videos surfacing on social media, Adam Sandler still got it. He's 25 years later. He can still smoke the Happy Gilmore golf swing. Can absolutely smoke it. I mean, he still got it at 54. I was very shocked to learn that he was 54 years old. That is old, and he absolutely smoked it. 
And what's funny is that you would think that there'd be at least one guy on the PGA trying this out, but apparently it's too risky. It's too risky, and Adam Sandler still got it. He's still got it. Now, what else makes this list is the response to Sandler. Because if you saw it, if you saw the video after the swing and the hit, Sandler called out Shooter McGavin. And he's he's Shooter McGavin to me. I know his actor name is Christopher McDonald, but he's Shooter McGavin to me. And he responded with a tremendous video doing the old putting inside the finger gun sort of salute that he did in the movie. I just thought that was great to honor the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest sports movies out there in the world. In the world. Now, it's all building up to what I think should ultimately happen. And that is Happy Gilmore 2. Let's get Happy Gilmore 2 coming on. I mean, there are so many iconic lines from Happy Gilmore. I mean, when he's a hockey player... When he's fighting with Bob Barker and he says, the price is wrong, bitch. And just a ton of great moments. I'm very surprised with the age of movie making that we're in where it's just nothing but sequels, prequels, remakes. I'm very surprised they have not made Happy Gilmore 2. Even if it was about the senior PGA Tour. Both of them are on the seniors tour and Happy Gilmore still getting smoked. Or... If he had a kid and he was, I don't know, maybe getting a running start as a pitcher or getting a running start swinging a baseball bat. I don't know. It just, I'm very surprised that it has not been Happy Gilmore too. But then again, I'm not a genius in any kind of that stuff. So I don't know if why studios might not be doing it. But this is just a nice little happy, little fun moment for Happy Gilmore. Because 25 years after one of the greatest movies. Just a special tribute here at Let Me Speak to honor Adam Sandler and Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin, as our head-scratcher, LOL, Moment of the Week. So that will do it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you very much for watching and for listening. Make sure you're dropping those likes, those comments, and make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you've got a point you got to get across, just tell the whole world, shut up and let me speak.